0: Well, good morning, everyone, and Happy New Year. I'm grateful once again for all of the people who collaborated on this service this morning. Uh, The music has been used with permission from Conrad Grebel University College Chapel Choir. Uh, Thomas Reimer picked out the pieces. And Marianne Coleman is playing the Prelude and Postlude, and it will actually be the last time she plays here at Rockway for quite some time. In February, she's moving to Hesperus Village, a retirement community in Vaughan, Ontario, just north of Toronto, uh, developed in the spirit and style of Rudolf Steiner, who was the pioneer of Waldorf education. Uh, Here at Rockway, musicians and speakers have generally collaborated very well together, but, something we probably shouldn't take for granted, because it's not always the case. I've heard stories uh, from some other churches, and they're not pretty. Like the church, for example, um, where the first hint of trouble surfaced after the preacher's preacher's sermon, which was called Dedicating Ourselves to Outreach, uh, when the choir director chose a response, we shall not be moved. Well, assuming this was just a coincidence, the preacher just put it out of mind. However, on the following Sunday, Stewardship Sunday, he preached on the need to give. And he was shocked when the choir followed with the anthem, Jesus paid it all. Well, by this time, people had a sense that something was going on. And so attendance was a bit, larger the following week for the pastor's sermon, which he entitled, The Sin of, Go- uh, Sin of Gossip. And would you believe it? For a hymn of response, the choir director chose, I love to tell the story. <laughs> well, by now, the pastor was getting riled up. And at the following service, he said that unless something changes soon on the music committee, he might be considering a resignation. While the entire congregation gasped when immediately following the announcement. The choir followed with a special number. Why not tonight? And so no one was completely surprised on the following Sunday when the pastor did, in fact, resign, explaining that Jesus had spoken to him in prayer. Jesus was, in fact, leading him to another congregation. Well, the choir director could not resist. Please stand, he said. Turn to number 628. What a friend we have in Jesus. (laughs) Well, I I couldn't resist uh, this little bit of humor uh, for the first sermon of the new year, because it's 2022 and it's off to a wobbly start. Like a runner, runner responding to the crack of the starting gun dashing out of dashing forward with a sharp pebble in his shoe it's kind of like what it's like this year the microscopic coronavirus continues to hobble and humble us even with all our tools and technologies as much as the privileged might wish to seal themselves off from the fate of the rest It's simply not possible in an interconnected world. People travel. Families span the globe. You just can't lock everything down tightly enough to keep the Omicron variant from spreading. I suppose the one possible, uh, the one positive lesson we're being taught in all of this is that we are one human family living in one interconnected biosphere, breathing the same air. If we're going to solve the problem of mutating viruses, we're going to have to solve it together, whether we want to or not. Just as we're going to have to solve the problem of a warming climate, together or not at all. This is an epiphany of sorts. Epiphany meaning revelation or manifestation. Epiphany being the theme uh, for this Sunday. The texts for this morning show us that we do not all see the same way. Something happens, something becomes visible. And some of us see it one way, And some of us see it another way. What we see depends upon how we see. King Herod, for example, his vision is a function of how he sees, a function of his psyche, his perspective, affected by his place in society, his attitude, his training, upbringing, which is the case for all of us. He hears about this new baby being born in Bethlehem and and the messianic rumors. And what does Herod see? He sees a threat. But it's just a baby, for goodness sake, whose parents are poor. But Herod the king sees the newborn child as a threat. How Herod sees determines what Herod sees. He sees through the lens of politics and security issues. You know, when you're at the top, you always have to be watching your back. I think Matthew's intention is to make the whole thing seem a bit humorous, which, which it is, the big, powerful king intimidated by the itty-bitty baby. Now, this account from the Gospel of Matthew is most likely a literary device and not actual history. Uh, The first century historian Josephus chronicles Herod's reign, and there's no mention at all of a slaughter of uh, infants. Nevertheless, the mindset of Herod, as Matthew portrays it here, is most likely correct. Herod the Great Josephus tells us, toward the end of his life, became quite paranoid. Josephus says he was so concerned that no one would mourn his death that he actually commanded a large group of distinguished men to come to Jericho where he was. And he gave the order that all these men should be killed at the same time as Herod's own impending natural death, so that there would be a great outpouring of grief as Herod was desiring. Apparently his son Archelaus and his sister Salome would not go along with this plan. Well, about seeing, in Matthew's account, another interesting thing, uh, he shows that it's the foreigners who see Jesus' messianic nature before his own people do. Foreigners pictured here as wise ones from the East. Now, Matthew, of course, is writing long after Jesus' death and is wanting to communicate the meaning of the whole Jesus event. He's most likely writing after the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, at a time of great tension between messianic, Christian Jewish communities, and the newly developing Jewish synagogues after the fall of the temple. Many of his compatriots, his fellow Jews, did not see Jesus as the Messiah. And Matthew is struggling with this. He shows in his birth narratives how it was not the local Jews, but the foreigners from the East who perceived Jesus' identity. This issue of seeing is also central in the writings of Paul and particularly the texts from Ephesians this morning. In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind, but now it has been made known, revealed. There's been a great epiphany. And Paul says that new people have come to the light. New people have seen. Not only wise ones from the East, but Gentiles, the non-Jewish neighbors here in our own lands. These Gentiles have seen the light of Christ and have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, sharers in the promise of Christ through the gospel. The light has dawned, Paul says, for those with eyes to see. He goes on to say in this text that it's the role of the church, the job of the community to amplify this epiphany. It's the work of the Christian community to make it visible for the world. It is through the church, he says, that the wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and to the authorities in the high places. This is quite quite a calling, quite a statement. He wants the church to witness to the world, to rulers and to the the authorities, to people like King Herod in positions of power. The church is called to be a conduit for the wisdom of God, a demonstration of it, an example of it. And what exactly is this wisdom of God that we're talking about, or that Paul's talking about? Well, it's connected to the birth of the infant in Bethlehem. The wisdom is about vulnerable presence, vulnerability. It's about the vulnerable way that Jesus lived in his life, the path of peace that he chose in contradistinction to the path of Herod, to that insecurity, that need to protect, that power to destroy. The wisdom of God is a paradigm altogether different than the usual paradigm of domination. The wisdom of God seeks to collaborate and equalize. It wants to share and include. It seeks to reconcile. The wisdom of God is humble, loving, and inclusive. And so what about us here at the beginning of 2022? I guess the first question is, are we seeing it, this epiphany, this wisdom of God present and birthed in our world? And I guess, secondly, are we making it manifest? Do people see it in us as individuals and as a community? People close to us, do they see it in us? What does this manifestation of Christ, of the wisdom of God, look like in our world today? And how are we? making it manifest. In the everyday, I'm thinking, in our houses, in our workplaces, with our partners, in our friendships, in our marriages, what does it actually look like? Well, may God give us eyes to see, and may God give us the gift, the, the courage, the um, fortitude to let it shine forth. Amen.